runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 848, Manageable Infrastructure as Code Using Pulumi, with guest Joe Duffy. Recorded Tuesday, September 6th, 2022. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Joe Duffy, who's the founder and CEO of Pulumi, which is a startup in Seattle. Pulumi's cloud engineering platform helps developers and infrastructure teams collaborate to build, ship, and manage modern cloud applications and infrastructure. Pulumi is open source with an easy-to-use software as a service for teams. But before Pulumi, Joe was the director of technical strategy and engineering at Microsoft, spanning developer and cloud tools, programming languages, and advanced technologies. He created the compiler and language group that brought together... All languages, IDEs, compilers, and static analysis products across many different languages, including C++, C Sharp, Visual Basic, and F Sharp, the various platforms, Windows, Linux, Mac OS, iOS, and Android, and the architectures, x86, x64, ARM32, and ARM64. And in addition to building and managing a world-class team, Joe remained hands-on with product strategy, architecture, quality, and engineering. You're also totally cloud agnostic, too. I mean, that's one of the things I love about Pulumi is it doesn't matter where you need to deploy to. It's going to work. Absolutely. And thanks for having me, Richard. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of folks, when I moved to the cloud infrastructure space, didn't recognize the similarities with my background and what I'm doing now. But there actually are quite a few similarities. And that's sure. one of them. You know, platform agnostic, multi-language. Yeah. Wherever you want to go, be able to work there. I also recognize, because you and I have known each other for a very long time, that, you know, you've got a very strong background in developer tools. And what we often think of infrastructure as code as a sysadmin problem, as an infrastructure problem, that's still code. And that code needs to be testable and deployable and preferably not cut and pasteable. Like my biggest frustration with most infrastructure is code solutions these days is that every time I start on a new project, I cut and paste from a previous project and customize it. Like you're, you're, you're not really starting over. But there's no buildup of ability. You're, you're always just tuning it for any given instance. And if something changes in the infrastructure for an organization, you've got to ripple through all of those implementations to make that change. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And that's the thing that we observed before starting Pulumi. Um, I'll be honest, we didn't know we would start with infrastructure as code. Hmm. Um, you know, my co-founders and I have built languages in the past. And we actually started with, a, you know, building a new cloud programming language, but then quickly realized that Infrastructure as code gives you a building block model that can be used to build bigger things out of smaller things. It gives you, if you apply the approach that Pulumi did, which is take your favorite language and marry that with infrastructure as code, it's sort of magic because now it's accessible to developers. You can do everything we know and love about software engineering, just apply it to infrastructure. But also for sysadmins and infrastructure teams, you get this amazing developer productivity that nobody ever thought to bring to this space. Um, and so we, you know, we, we locked in on infrastructure as code and, and really it's five years in, you know, we've, we've had a lot of success with that approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it also begs the question, like, what's the right way to use Pulumi then? Cause it's a lot of infrastructure being built by the sysadmins and now they're learning 
the sort of code discipline aspects of source management, testing infrastructure, deployment strategies, and things like that, as opposed to having it brought to them by developers, where it has a lot of that stuff already in place. Uh, but maybe now they got focused on the security issues and the per- permissions models and disaster recovery elements. Like, it doesn't seem like there's any one right perfect solution. Yeah, and honestly, we see every point along that spectrum. Mm-hmm. We see teams that are sort of classical, you know, operations and IT over here, developers over here, and developers don't really think much about infrastructure. We see increasingly this sort of platform team approach where there's a team that sits in between the infrastructure and operations team and the developers, and their goal is to really empower the whole team to to work better together. Um, but then we saw we also see, you know, teams that are just 100% pure developers who right. just really embrace Hey, we're all building cloud software, so we might as well, you know, learn what a microservice is and how to stand it up in AWS or Azure. Um, there is no one right approach, I think, and that's why Pulumi. We sort of view ourselves as a gateway between the two sides of the organization, and you get to de- decide how much developer first or operations first you want to be. Right. Uh, but it's all about empowering the team, helping the team be more productive, but also with guardrails, because as you point out, you know, security. Uh, is subtle and it's easy to make a mistake without knowing it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Organizations just get into trouble because you're, you're running a, well, it's, it's a classic dev thing of we try the new thing. It works well enough that someone's like, we'll deploy it. And we haven't done the whole checklist of all of the potential impacts that that might have. They, this, this cynicism that comes, or is it wisdom that comes with being an operator for a while? It's like, hang on a second before you push that big red button. Like, let's go run through these things. I want to know what rights we've got. Yeah, it's interesting coming from my background working on operating systems and developer platforms. There, there are a few mantras that we always held true to. And, and I worked on this project, Midori. It was a new operating system where things like correctness by construction, security mm-hmm. by construction. This means that security is the default rather than an afterthought. Right. And when you look at the current cloud environment, you know, it's really easy to make a mistake because security is not always baked in. And so with Pulumi, one of the nice things is we we can package things up into reusable patterns. Instead of copy and pasting those 4,000 lines of YAML that might have a security mistake and then Exactly what you said earlier. Propagating it across multiple instances. Right. <laughs> you know, you can chase them down, manually fix them up. You can actually use software engineering. So you can build a component that's secure, and now you can roll it out, yeah. knowing that it's secure. And if you find a problem, well, how do you fix it? The same way we do everywhere else in software. You go fix the bug, and then you roll out a new version, you patch it, and so on. And so we brought those sort of software engineering approaches that that do help with security, uh, along with a lot of other things. But I also like the idea that my security specialists don't have to review every single infrastructure's code implementation then. They take care of that module and everybody implements it. Exactly. And they, exactly. So there's one place where security was figured out right and we all run against it. Yeah, our, our biggest customer who uses Pulumi for you know hundreds of teams within the, the organization and 10,000 10, plus engineers. Wow. They have a central security team and they, they decided they were going to use Kubernetes and that central security team reviewed their Kubernetes module and blessed it and said, yes, this is a secure deployment. Now they can just go, you know, stamp up Kubernetes clusters, knowing that they're done safely, securely and compliant, you know, with compliance in mind. And that's, that's really a game changer compared to where people are coming from. I'd like to cycle back to the thing, something you said a little earlier about a platform team, just because I think it's an interesting idea of how an organization could get more sophisticated 
on coming up with a set of templates for infrastructure as code with some folks that really focus on that? I mean, who do you see in a platform team? It's it's an interesting hybrid of folks who have an infrastructure background, but also people that are taking more of a software engineering mindset mm-hmm. to solving problems. Um, you know, I, th- I think they're, it's funny when we started, people kept saying, oh, infrastructure teams and operators don't want to write code. I went out and went to DevOps days and talked to a lot of folks. Like there are plenty of people writing Python code and scripts, PowerShell, like all the time. We always were. We just ignored the fact that we were writing code. I mean, you always did. Exactly. It just was, you didn't talk about it because if if it wasn't checked into source code, it wasn't code, right? Like it was, when it was your scripts on your floppy disk, now on your, maybe on your USB key, but whatever, you know, then it wasn't really code. It was scripts for you. But we're more grown up than that now. Yeah. And I I see, you know, that meeting of the minds Mm -hmm. of people who come with a software engineering background who might think more about modularity, reuse, testing. And then folks come from an infrastructure background who might think more about security, cost, compliance. You you merge those two together. And that's what we see in a lot of these modern platform teams. Right. And what excites me about that platform team scenario then is I'm not expecting every sysadmin in my group to get up to speed on all of this stuff. But it's like, hey, you know what? Ray's gonna do it. He's interested. He's, you know, been he's been the codier of us. He's the one we turn to to fix stuff. So he's gonna get more up to speed with the way the devs are doing some stuff and make sure he brings that security mindset. And then he'll come back with a blessed approach for us all to use. Precisely. And there's an analogy I use sometimes, and maybe it's not a great analogy, but um, you know, at Microsoft, we used to have software engineering over here and then test engineering over here. Right. And there are completely different teams. And what happened was developers write code without thinking about testing. They throw it over the wall. The test engineers would would find a bunch of bugs. And it was a very inefficient way of working. Right. And we actually decided to consolidate. And when we did that, well, first, we made a ton of mistakes, which <laughs> um, that did not go well. But we learned from those mistakes. But one of the key lessons was that test mindset, the test discipline, you need that. You need the people who are going to think about automation and think about how to how to find uh, bugs in, in clever ways. And it's similar with infrastructure. You, know, right. you, you want the folks who understand networking and deeply understand cost management. And, but that doesn't mean it has to be a completely separate organization. Those those skill sets are valuable within the platform team or the engineering team as a whole. Yeah, and they're an additional skill set that is attached to certain individuals that do other work as well. Like it's just like it's rare to have a solely dedicated security person. It's usually the security minded operator type that's that's dealing with those particular issues that we all wear multiple hats. You just got to make sure that certain hats are covered in that. And I appreciate that, you know, this is one of those new hats we've got to have in our repertoire. Yeah. And I think the larger the organization, the more you can afford to specialize and that right. sort of naturally happens. Cause instead of having, one or two security experts, you need, you know, 50 security experts. And so now clearly you would organize in, in a different way. And so that's why I, I was saying earlier, we see every point along that spectrum. Sure. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm always afraid of presenting, you know, talking about tools that says, well, as long as you're 10,000 seat organization, this makes sense. And there's a lot of folks that listen to run as I know that are, that are the one man band or one of four and, they're just trying to divvy up the work and still have the advantage because you start building up this body of repeating slightly different code in, in your infrastructure's code and it eventually becomes a punishment. But, but these are mistakes I remember as a developer. We did the same thing where each new version actually made it harder to make the next version rather than easier. And I, I just don't know that we're there with, with infrastructure's code yet. Yeah, I think it's sometimes hard to 
to succinctly describe what makes Pulumi great, you know, for for folks, especially coming from existing infrastructure as code tools. Like, mm -hmm. yes, you get to use your favorite language, you get to use software engineering, but I think one of the traits that we're now zeroing in on is the ability to scale. Mm -hmm. It's infrastructure as code that scales. It can you can work with one person, but it can scale to tens of thousands of people or tens of thousands of environments. And and a lot of the copy and paste of you know YAML and domain-specific languages just doesn't scale. It hits a point where it no longer works for you. Or if it does, it's through a bunch of convoluted, you know, we ran into someone recently who was generating infrastructures code with bash scripts. Wow. Because they didn't have for loops. They didn't have modularity in in their infrastructure's code tool. And just being able to use a full-blown language like with Pulumi, you can really tame some of that uh, chaos. And I guess that's got to be the battle for you, too, is some folks are going to look at Pulumi and say, this is too complicated. But other folks have got to get to a place where they've recognized how complicated a lot of YAML can get to go. There's got to be a better way. Like, I, I got to imagine it's relatively rare to find somebody who wants to start here. It's You need a certain amount of experience to know why you want to go here. Yeah, I think for us, it's two things. One, people who have felt the pain with current tools mm -hmm. who know, oh, yes. <laughs> like the, the the little Hello World demo that's 10 lines of code. Yeah, works like a charm. Out with that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but then also folks who are coming from a world of understanding, you know, programming languages and, you know, especially things like, hey, I, I can put something in a package and share a common pattern rather than copy and pasting. You know, that, that resonates with folks uh, pretty quickly as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it is some of these developer skills that come into play. It makes me wonder if we don't, if we're more ops-centric on the way we're doing IC right now, is to say, do I need a dev mind in this loop just because they approach it from a broader view that says, how do I break this into modules that'll be reusable in multiple places? Yeah, I think... One analogy sort of for folks from operating, although interestingly, I think people have sort of a love-hate relationship with PowerShell. I don't know what the temperature check is these days, but it's similar to going from, you know, the CMD scripting to PowerShell. Like right. That evolution just gave you all these new powers that you had at your fingertips that you didn't have previously. And, and I still see lots of folks talk about PowerShell as glue, which is to say when the parts don't just fit together nicely, you use a little PowerShell to make them stick. Which exactly? I mean, I, it's still you know. Do you love duct tape? Because it's still duct tape, right? Like in theory, we shouldn't need it, but in practice, you do. Right. So you know, it ends up being that filler to finally get things to work together. The challenge, and it's certainly a recurring theme on on this show these days, is this: How do I build maintainable PowerShell? Because you know, I'm working in a broader tool like a Terraform or a Bicep or things like that. And then I still run into cases where, okay, we got this piece running over here and this piece running over there. And the only way we're going to get them to talk is this glob of PowerShell. But, you know, where is it being managed? Who's going to update it? Who knows how to maintain it? Like, it, that's that's a challenge, right? I, I think people, you know, as much as there is no one-size-fits-all solution, people still want that. I want one place to go to solve all of these problems. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of our customers come from a place of gluing things together, whether mm -hmm. it's with PowerShell or Bash. Um, and, you know, we support over 100 different cloud providers and we, we call, you know, cloud provider includes AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, but also Kubernetes mm -hmm. and other, you know, new SaaS platforms like Snowflake, MongoDB, uh, New Relic, Datadog, these other infrastructure providers. And, and the typical story is, 
Well, I'm using some Terraform for my, you know, Azure stuff. I then have to shell out to Kube Control to do some Kubernetes things, and then maybe Helm Control to install a chart, and yep. then I'm going to go manually like curl an API for my MongoDB Atlas database, and that's all tied together with some like Bash glue or PowerShell. Yeah. And sooner or later, you're going to FTP something somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably, yeah, and, and then who knows what? Like, you know, add a. a open a jira ticket or something right yeah <laughs> it's it's uh it's kind of crazy out there so we with pulumi you get one standard workflow one tool one platform that can do all of those things which right. really helps to clean up that mess i really appreciate that and joe i'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message this episode of run as is brought to you by the azure data conference at the mgm grand hotel in las vegas december 4th to 9th You've heard the data Q&A shows published on RunAs twice a week from the conference. That is a microcosm of the six days of fantastic learning available to you from the real-world consultants and members of the Azure Data team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately and gain insight into Microsoft's data strategies for the cloud and on-premises. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest versions of Azure Data and Microsoft SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the conference's closing session and be part of the Data Q&A show on Run As Radio. The Azure Data Conference is at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, December 4th to 9th. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at azuredataconf.com, and I'll see you there. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Joe Duffy talking a little bit about the open source project that is Pulumi. And uh, so also a free product, for at least at the getting started level. Like, how do you guys make a living? Like, where's the business in giving away a, a great programming language for infrastructure as code? Well, I, th I, I think we did something that's absolutely insane, uh, <laughs> which is we started an open source project, a company and a commercial product at the same time. I I recommend it, but I also don't recommend it because it is insane, but you're mm. trying to hit three home runs at the same time. Um, but the analogy I draw is it's sort of like Git and GitHub. Right. Our open source is effectively the Git in that analogy, and our commercial product is like the GitHub. So you can actually use the open source fully for free, offline. Um, it's, it's all there. Right. Uh, but security, reliability, collaboration – isn't it so much easier to use GitHub for all those things? Mm -hmm. And so that's the similar analogy for our SaaS product. It right. just makes it a lot easier to create projects, share projects within your team and collaborate, knowing that it's going to be done safely, securely. And, you know, if you think about compliance and things that large enterprises need, you definitely want something like um, the service. And so that they, they were designed to go hand in hand, but sure. you can still use the open source fully. Well, it means there's no barrier to entry, but as soon as you get down a certain path where you're going to start either rolling your own tools to do a bunch of this, but hey, here's a, uh, you know, a per, a reasonable fee to do it for you and, exactly. and, and some real backing when you, when you get deeper down that path. Yeah. And we also did something different, which is we really believe that every company is going to want an infrastructure as code solution. You yeah. know, if you're doing anything in the cloud, which by definition is basically every company, yeah. you want an infrastructure as code tool. And so we priced it very reasonably for small teams, medium, all the way up to the largest teams uh, out there. But again, you know, we have multiple Fortune 500 companies, you know, over a dozen Fortune 500 companies that are using Pulumi open source mm -hmm. that we don't have a commercial relationship. That's perfectly fine. They're still part of our community. Sure. We still love them. And you still, I'm sure you learn from them too, right? They're, are they making contributions into your code base? Absolutely. We have very exciting uh 
companies out there making contributions on a daily basis. It's pretty awesome. And, I mean, it says a lot about a piece of code, right? With the by the sort of folks that want to contribute to it as well. It's like this is how important it is to us. We use it like this. I've helped to make it that way, and here's your contribution back. Yeah, it's it's funny. I had this this wow experience at Microsoft. I remember on the run up to launching open source.net and mm. taking it cross platform, you know, Scott Guthrie really wanted to show off uh, Mac and Linux, but we, we were like, ah, we can get Linux, but we're not sure we can get the Mac port done in time. Right. And suddenly out of nowhere, this guy in the open source community opens a pull request. Here's Mac support. <laughs> and it just blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we are getting to that level with Pulumi now where we're seeing really meaningful contributions coming from the community. In fact, .NET support for Pulumi started in the community. Wow. Java support, which we just launched uh, in the last few months, started in the community as well. And so it's really growing, really vibrant. That's really powerful, man. That's exciting stuff. Especially on the ops side, testing. Because most of the time when I talk to ops people, the way they test their infrastructure as code is by doing it. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, I've pl written plenty of software where we just tested it on customers, put it out there, see what happens if the consequences are low enough. But how do I do tests that aren't revealed to my customer? We talked about infrastructure as code. Like what's, what, what does Pulumi do for me here? And it's like, what's a good practice around this? I think. Built in, Pulumi has the notion of a plan. So it's mm -hmm. always going to show you what it's going to do before doing a deployment. And that, that's sort of a form of testing because it includes just basic verification that the inputs are correct. Um, we're using languages, so we get to statically type check and make sure that yeah. you know you don't have like a JSON field that's mistyped or something. That, that's never happened, right? And, and, and that quietly fails, right? I mean, that's the whole thing with an awful lot of these space sensitive and so forth it's just like they just fail and you have to try and hack your way through like why did it go wrong i i think you make a really valid point is when you use a full bore programming language like a c sharp or a java with static typing like a whole lot of problems get caught before you even start running yeah a common disaster scenario we heard was my AWS CloudFormation was 4,000 lines of json i submitted it it got 30 minutes into the deployment in production failed and then CloudFormation does its rollback thing, which can itself fail. Yep. And then you end up as like you're in you're, you're in a la la land of damage, right? <laughs> like you can't yeah, try it again because you haven't fully cleaned up. You don't know what went wrong. Like you really are in the pain. Yes. So as with everything in programming, this is part of the developer experience, right? We try to bring errors as close to typing as possible. So right. you're also getting IntelliSense, like. Many of our customers are using VS Code, so it's not even that the compiler tells you. You get a red squiggle. You know instantly that you did something wrong, and that that's actually easy to overlook if you have sort of a developer background, but hugely important. Um, but beyond that, you can now write unit tests. You can write integration tests. Um, we actually have tons of customers that do ephemeral environments. So when you open up a pull request, it's going to spin up an entire fresh copy of your infrastructure mm -hmm. that you can then go interact with. You can run tests against and then tear it down when you merge your pull request. All these things just give you a lot more confidence that, you know, your, your deployment's going to succeed. And I, and I appreciate that core sentiment of if it's, if there's a problem, you catch it at the point of typing, you never go further than that because you can see it right away. Certainly seeing folks doing a lot more work with VS code for all kinds of things in the op space with extensions because of exactly that. That way we're highlighting code that makes sure that our quotes are correct, our brackets are correct, our braces are correct, like 
because his VS Code makes it glow when it's wrong. Yeah, and the, the great thing also about just using general purpose languages that exist in the world is we benefit from all that just sort of for free. Yeah, just yeah. because they're solving problems. Right. We don't have to go solve that. We don't yeah. have to go build plugins for Vim and Emacs and Sublime Text and VS Code and, you know, pick your favorite editor. It's just going to work. Yeah. Uh, pick your favorite linter, your favorite test framework. You know, all these things just work. And and I think that's really, you know, it's 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 not just about the language. It's the whole community around the language, all yeah. the tools, the entire ecosystem. And all that stuff already exists. Like, I'm glad there is the pesters of the world for making PowerShell testable. But let's face it, there's better testing tools for C Sharp and Java. So, you yeah. know, the pastor's bad. It's just that it's another thing you need to learn if you're going to code over there, where if I'm coding in a, in a traditional developer's language, there's been testing tools built for decades for those things that can help you. Yeah, and unit, J unit. I mean, there's at JavaScript, there's probably there's, at least 10,000 test yeah. frameworks. <laughs> and a new one every day. So, yes. <laughs> so exactly that point, like for working the language you're comfortable with uh, or can get comfortable with and know you've got the backing of all those other tools that you don't have to get from Pulumi and you don't have to write yourself. Yeah. It's also if, you, and if you're not comfortable with languages, we actually just hired a, a new um, uh, developer advocate on the team. Scott Lowe is an amazing guy. He comes from the VMware ecosystem. Mm -hmm. He's He's been an operator for, I don't know, 20 plus years. And he decided at some point, Hey, I'm going to learn a language because it's an investment in my skills. I know that it's going to transcend this one use case. Uh, and, you know, he's he's been pretty vocal about that being transformational for him. Yeah. And we see that happening all the time, you know, in the community. And so, you know, if you're not a language expert, the subset of a language you need to use to get up and running with Pulumi is actually a vast subset. It's It's, you know, you don't have to worry about async coroutines and all these things like it's really pretty straightforward at its core yeah and, and even though i think the average operator shies away from that i don't want to be a developer i went into this like being a developer is not a programming language it's a bunch of other stuff as well but these languages make your life easier and they're dirty easy to learn these days too like the, the, there's enough stuff on youtube to pick up any language you want to pick up. Like you don't have to go down the big hoary path of being a developer. You just need to learn enough of that language to be efficient with it. Yeah. And you start there and then, you know, over time you add new tricks to your bag of tricks as you learn them, you know, incrementally, but you know, the base amount to get started is, as Small. you say, there's tons of knowledge out there. Scripting in C sharp, just not that different from scripting in PowerShell. And, uh, but except when it gets into now it's complicated and I need testing tools and I want to do some regression tests and make you get further and further down that path. Yeah. I, especially now with things like, you know, not even needing a main function to be able to write your script yeah. and some of the, it is, it is funny. A lot of the static languages, you know, start super staticky and then they over time have become more and more dynamic yeah. and, and vice versa, right? Because we added types to JavaScript with TypeScript and, and, and Python now has type annotations. And so they all sort of converge in the middle. We are converging on a point, it seems, in a respect, but we've all come at it from a different angle. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. A certain amount of typing is useful. <laughs> a certain amount of dynamic creation is useful. You know, your balance on that is, is, is variable. But if, and if you're an operator listening to this, you're like, well, what are the programmers talking about? Like, we're in the esoterics of programming. But admittedly, it's like, hey, don't, we're on this path as operators to recreate a lot of this stuff unless we grab onto what's already been done. I would think it's in my best interest as I'm thinking about this 
to pick a language that's popular inside of my organization already. If I haven't already committed to anything, like if I'm in a Java shop, start doing your scripting in Java just because there's a bunch of people you can call. You know, you can have a conversation about that code very easily. Yeah, and one of the things that we find, this especially with these platform teams, we find that operators and infrastructure teams want to empower more developers to make contributions. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're going to have the keys to the kingdom. It's not that developers are going to suddenly become experts in how to build a, you know, a multi-region Kubernetes cluster with a secure network. Like that's that's not in the wheelhouse of most developers. No. But don't you want some amount of that infrastructure to be accessible to developers. And so if they find a bug, they can open a pull request. If they want to make contributions to how they are hosting microservices and so on. So so picking the language that your developers are comfortable with just opens that door. It sure. doesn't introduce yeah. an artificial separation, an artificial barrier to contribution. It really unlocks that. Yeah, level of complexity. And you may have already paid for a whole set of tools that will make your code better. You know? Yes. Like they, they, yeah, like... Yeah. Static analysis, maybe you bought JetBrains IDE, a site license, absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, you can't, you can't undervalue that. You know, I put my CTO hat on there. It's like, hey, I have a spend of X many thousand per year for each dev. And the idea that we'd have to buy a totally separate set of tools, like that's a hard job to do. If we can just use the tools we've got, like you're going to be well equipped to do a lot in a very little time and have a bunch of people around you who already know how to use them. And that, Honestly, when we started, that was one of the things that struck us right away. It's mm-hmm. we're building a whole parallel ecosystem for infrastructure. And if you squint and you look, you know, five years down the road, you're like, but we're going to need everything we already have over yeah. here. We're Why on we the same path, right? <laughs> right? I know I, it's only because I've been doing this long enough. It's like, I remember going down this path 10 years ago and we're going to make the following mistakes and we're going to land at the same place. So why not just use the things that have already been done and save ourselves the pain? Precisely. Yeah. So it's a funny combination of things. Uh, where is Pulumi going from here? I mean, you, you guys have kind of sort of agnosticized yourself from the languages, but what, what's on the feature list? What do you wish you had? Yeah, there's really kind of three core areas of focus. One is just that infrastructure as code being the best infrastructure as code tool out there and mm-hmm. really listening to the community and, you know, Filling all the gaps that in terms of like, you know, cloud providers or features. But to be honest, there aren't that many when you compare Pulumi today to things like Terraform or CloudFormation. I mean, Pulumi's already sort of best in class. And especially when it comes to being able to bring your favorite language, we've really checked all those boxes, filled out all the language coverage. So I think really just continuing to do a great job with infrastructure as code is priority number one. Mm-hmm. But we also want to make infrastructure more accessible to developers. I think we sort of uh, can meet developers with infrastructure as code and, and help bring the infrastructure to them. But most developers, let's be honest, don't want to think about infrastructure. No, as code. Not a bit. Yeah. They just want to think about, you know, how do I build this, this cloud based application, but not really starting from the infrastructure perspective, starting from the application perspective. It's still way too hard. Like go to a whiteboard and draw your application architecture <laughs> And then try to encode that in, even with Pulumi, you get to use a great language, but it's still too hard. Like encode that in Azure, encode that in AWS. Just breaking it out into all the different services and then much less how you're going to push that out, how you're going to update it. Like you fill whiteboards fast with that stuff. Yes. 
And so the gap, the, there's still an impedance gap between what a developer wants to be writing and what the infrastructure today demands that they, mm -hmm. they actually write. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, developers need infrastructure teams to, to fill this gap. Yeah. And so we think we can really help developers build cloud-native applications a lot more easily. And so that's the second category. And then the third focus is really enterprise customers. You know, they have a lot of requirements around, you know, uh, drift detection and remediation, yep. workflow automation. Like, how do I go from deploying one environment to a hundred environments that might be orchestrated over the course of a week or a month? Like, we see these things all the time in the wild. It's it's the difference between a team of ten and a team of ten thousand. Yeah, um, so just uh, all the complexity in that. Uh, yeah, yeah. The mo the modern issue of we found a security vulnerability and it likely affects every single thing we've deployed in the past five years. Go check it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that they, you know, we've done that show and it's, a, it is terrifying when you think about the log for J crisis and not even being able to answer the question, are we exposed and good tooling would fix a lot of that. Yeah. And, and a lot of the similarities, you know, I worked on static analysis at Microsoft and, you know, like tracking down all those vulnerabilities, patching them. Mm -hmm. Like we can use software engineering techniques to, to tame a lot of these problems. It just hasn't been done uh, really to date. I will say the other thing we see all the time is people using CICD systems to try to do these more sophisticated deployment and infrastructure orchestration tasks. And they're just not built for that, Yeah, which is surprising. We say CICD, yeah. the D is deployment, but that was built in a world of very simple, like end tier applications, not these really large scale distributed systems we're building today. And so there's a lot of opportunity to simplify, you know, hard problems there. And it's got to be a moving target too, because the cloud providers keep building new things. Absolutely. Right. They, they do. And they're, they're much bigger than us. Um, yeah. And, but they're also, I get the sense that they're just hurling stuff at the wall to see if it helps you. Like it's hard to pick. Do I want to take this thing out for a spin or is it going to be gone in six months? Like, is this the right way to go or the next incarnation will be the better one? Yeah, in some sense, it's our advantage is that, you know, we we can try some things out and it's not as ca catastrophic if it doesn't ultimately pan out. Right. Um, but we can move faster, right? And we, and we have a lot of similar customers to theirs, so I think we can learn uh, the same thing that they're learning. Um, but you're right, depending on which one you pick, like some of them are better than others at throwing stuff at the wall and actually having it stick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How much thinking are they doing? Are they just trying stuff? It's yeah, different vendors, different approaches. You got to figure out what you're comfortable with. Uh, but I, I think the thing that we just think about the world a little bit differently, which is we're really building distributed applications. Mm -hmm. We're not building applications and then gluing infrastructure on it afterwards like that. And that, I think that's a difference in mindset. And when you think about it differently, like I was actually informed a lot by, you know, the Midori experience where it was a distributed operating system. And I, I think more in that mindset is where the world's going to go versus let's just automate stuff by throwing, you know, bash scripts and, and throwing stuff at the wall. Yeah. Well, if you're approaching cloud as it's just a pile of VMs, make those VMs do what I want. You're missing out on an awful lot of cloud. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> and very and very much spending more money than necessary. Like more and more I'm talking to folks where the CFO's coming back at the with the with the state the cloud statement and going, "Why is this app costing this much money?" And it's interesting to think about how the, our tooling could help us break those things down and start to feel around of what's a more efficient way to run this. Yeah, cuz one of the things you get with languages is refactoring. So if you yeah. find something you want to change, you can swap it out. It's it's a whole lot easier than doing surgery on, you know, thousands of lines of YAML that you've copy and pasted everywhere. Yeah, it's interesting to think about refactoring the infrastructure like that, but you know, we are at a period where I think people where the CFOs are 
bringing out the red pen more and more. And it's a good time for us to brush up on those skills to make our apps as efficient as they can be. And we can tackle that from the infrastructure perspective. We're using expensive services we may not need to. We could change them out. Yep. Joe, so much fun to talk to you. Thanks for spending time with me on this. Uh, Pulumi is a great product. We've talked about it on Donut Rocks. First time, I think, really on Run As Radio to be able to dive into the meat and potatoes of it. I hope folks will take it out for a spin. Yeah, likewise. And um, if you have any questions, you know, find me in the community. Uh, we have a community Slack. We have, you know, GitHub. Love, always love hearing feedback and helping people out. So thanks, Richard. Awesome. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.